brothers playing that so beautifully, I want to sing it. But we must remember ourselves. No, no. It's been a real sweet service so far. You don't want your boy singing. Praise be to God. You got to give God praise for who he is and give him thanks for Patrice and the praise team this morning. Blessing us. Well, if you're visiting with us this morning, again, I want to add my word of welcome as, as well. Thank you for choosing to praise God with us this morning at Anacostia River Church. We are so glad that you're here uh, and so thankful for you. Now, uh, I want to do a little exercise real quick. If you were here in 2018 or earlier, raise your hand. If you're a member of ARC or around 2018 or earlier, raise your hand. Then you probably remember Luke and Emily. Uh, praise be to God. Yeah, this is our brother and sister um, married here at ARC and um, formed, started their, their life together as husband and wife. And uh, Luke was in medical school at Howard and uh, went on and is doing his residency and finishing up his studies and beginning his practice in the Boston area. And uh, we're so glad to have them back with us this morning. Uh, it was a great surprise to see your faces and a, and a great blessing. So welcome. Welcome back home. Welcome back home. And if you're looking for a church home this morning, we pray you'd consider Anacostia River Church. We welcome you here this morning. We are no perfect church at all, but we do love Jesus, and Jesus loves us, and we're glad to be his people. Uh, we're going to turn our attention to God's word. If you need a Bible this morning, just raise your hands. Uh, there are a couple of ushers who will bring you a Bible to use this morning. Uh, so if you need a Bible, raise your hand and keep it high. If you do not own a Bible, we want this to be our gift to you. We can't think of a more meaningful gift to give you than your own copy of God's Word. Uh, so if you don't own a Bible and you like to have a copy of the Bible, take this one. Write your name in the front. Uh, make it your own. Study it for life, uh, and it will give you life. Amen? Amen? So let me pray, and we'll turn to God's Word. Father in heaven, we thank you that your Word is alive. These are not cold, dead letters on a page, but this is your living word breathed out by your spirit. It is active. It is sharp. It comes into our hearing and yet diagnoses our heart. We pray that you would even now be dividing the thoughts and intents of our hearts. We pray that even now that by your word, you would be discovering us. And Lord, bringing us into the light. Now, by your word, we would be seeing more of you, and beholding the wonder of your work in our lives and treasuring all that you give us in Jesus, your son. We thank you, Lord, for this appointed time to come to your word. Give us ears that hear, hearts that believe, eyes that see with faith. Help us, O oh Lord, to walk again in the goodness of your gospel, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're visiting with us this morning, you are jumping into the near the end of a series of sermons that uh, we have called Covenant Community. If you have the bulletin this morning, you can turn to one of the pages in the bulletin. I think it's printed in there. No, it's not. Well, you can turn all the way through the bulletin and not find it. But uh, we are in a series uh, on our church covenant, right? Uh, a, a covenant is basically an agreement. 
It's an agreement that parties make a little bit like a contract that defines their relationship. And we find the covenant or the concept of covenant throughout the Bible. But in the Bible, most of the covenants are between God and man. And in those covenants, God is the one who establishes the relationship, establishes the terms of the relationship, and God's people are then called to obedience in that covenant. Uh, and they receive God's provision, God's blessing and God's correction, both as provision. But also in the Bible, there are covenants between human beings as well. Uh, the best known covenant in the Bible and, and in every society on earth, think about that, is marriage. A man and a woman covenant together before God to have each other as husband and wife and, and commit themselves to performing the responsibilities of husband and wife. But also in the Bible, you find friendship covenants. We think of that famous covenant between Jonathan and David, for example, right? So what we are sort of understanding now is a covenant made before God between individuals in his church and a relationship that sort of defines for us what it means to be the church, how it is we are going to live out as a covenant community, how it is we're going to care for each other, how it is we're going to partner in the work of missions, how we're going to make Jesus's name known from the four corners of the block to the four corners of the globe. That's what we've been considering. In one sense, we've been considering what makes us a family, what makes us God's household, God's family. And this morning, we come to the next to the last section of the covenant, uh, and it, it reads this. We will, when we move from this place, as soon as possible, unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. Let me read it for you again. We will, when we move from this place, as soon as possible, unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's words. In other words, we're promising as soon as we end our membership at ARC, we will begin our membership at another gospel preaching church so that we can sort of form the same kind of covenant community and live according to God's word together. Now, in this promise, what we're asserting is that the local church will always be central to how we live the Christian life. We are promising that God's household, God's people, and our relationship to his household and his people and our fulfillment of his mission and calling as his household and people will always be central to how we think about and live out the Christian faith. Now, believe it or not, this may be part of the covenant that is most often overlooked. For a number of reasons, people find it difficult to leave one church and to commit to another. Or for a number of reasons, people might not even think that's important or that it's urgent. You may think, well, I will get around to joining another church, but it's not a as soon as possible kind of thing. Or it may be the situation where we are physically in one place, our body is in one place, but our heart remains somewhere else. We have this difficulty of getting our hearts together with our bodies into a church where we actually live and play and worship. 
And with God's help this morning, I want us to consider four things that that may help us with this issue, that may help us to commit to this part of the covenant, even if we right now have no designs of of leaving this church and going to another church, or or to sort of, um, with God's help, have this part of the covenant maybe hasten us a bit if we're in that in-between situation, between churches, maybe even in a new area or considering a new area. I want to give us four things to think about here that, by God's grace, uh, deepens our understanding of this point. Four points for those who are taking, out, taking notes. Number one, every Christian is joined to the body of Christ. Every Christian is joined to the body of Christ. We're going to see that in 1 Corinthians 12. Number two, every Christian will leave their local church. Every Christian will leave their local church And number three, every Christian should quickly join another church, another local church. Every Christian who leaves their local church should quickly join another local church. And number four, every Christian should be about their father's business. Every Christian should be about their father's business. So let me read the covenant again, and then we'll get into that first point. We will, when we move from this place, as soon as possible, unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. Now, we can't talk about leaving the membership of a local church unless we first understand that we are to be members of a local church. You got to belong to a thing before you can leave it, right? New Testament now doesn't waste a lot of time arguing about church membership. It's just assumed on every page. It is assumed that the norm of the Christian life is that we would be a part of God's local families and and that we would live and worship and serve in these collections, in these communities of God's people called churches. So the New Testament doesn't really debate that idea, but one place where it does give an argument um, for church membership is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And here, Paul uses the body analogy to talk about church membership and our place in it. And there are three things I want us to observe here in 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to cherry pick a couple of verses here um, between 12 to 27. The first is this. Notice the definition, really, that Paul gives of a church in verse 12. He says, therefore, just as the body, meaning the human body, is one body and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. He's saying, if you want to understand what Jesus is like, then you can look at your physical body. That your physical body is an analogy, a picture, a symbol of how Jesus relates to his people. Just like your physical body has many members, or you may have a translation that says parts. You got fingers and hands, elbows and knees, eyes and heads. Just as you got many parts, you have how many bodies? One body. But even though you only have one body, you have how many parts? Many. And then he just makes it plain at the end of that verse, doesn't he? So it is with Christ. That the Lord Jesus is the head of the church and we are his body. 
And each of us are members in that body, parts of that body who form one body. Now that's true spiritually and universally. All Christians of all time everywhere are a part of Jesus's body, but it is also true locally and visibly and physically in each local church. And that's what Paul is writing to, is a local physical church in a city called Corinth. So what does it mean to be the church? Well, it means to be Christ's body, to be members joined together in one body and to be one body made up of many parts. I want you to notice that the word member is right here in the Bible. It's not a word that we are borrowing from the Rotary Club or Sam's Club or Costco or some other secular society. When we talk about being members of the church, members of the body of Christ, we need to think in distinctively Christian terms. Now, what we are talking about is not just merely a voluntary association. What we are talking about is a spiritual union. That when we came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and was raised from the death of sin to new life, the Bible says that we were spiritually united to Jesus. And the way that gets reflected is in this body analogy. We are all united to him as our head, as the source of our life, as the head of the body. And we are united to him as many parts in one body and united to each other in him. We talk about membership, that's what we're talking about, giving visible expression to that spiritual reality that we are joined to Jesus by faith. So we are not united to Christ the way cars on a train are united with a caboose in the back, some cars in the middle, and the engine up front. The caboose always the tail, the engine always up front, always in ordering. We are not united to Jesus Christ the way the rays of the sun are united to that gas giant. A flaming hot sun with rays shooting out randomly and disconnectedly individually away from the body. We are one body united to each other. Individuals, yes, but also a whole. And our covenant community is meant to reflect that reality. Notice the second thing. We become parts of God's, of Christ's body by God's specific and intentional design. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is right here. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18, where the Bible says there, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Each one of them as he chose. In 1818, Mary Shelley published a novel you all have heard of, even if you've never read it, called Frankenstein. Tells the story of Dr. Victor Frankel, Frankenstein, excuse me, Dr. Victor Frankenstein, who is this young, um, brilliant scientist who is experimenting with things, and he discovers uh, an elemental principle that gives non-living things life. 
And the way this novel goes is he gets in his lab and experiments and he begins to take um, parts from the slaughterhouse and parts from the dissecting room. And he takes those dead inanimate parts and he uses that, that principle of life and he makes himself a man. This giant man. And the way Mary Shelley tells the story is not like the movie in 1931 where lightning strikes the thing and it comes alive. No, the way Mary Shelley tells the original story was he very meticulously arranged every member, every part of the body of this giant man just as he chose. And then he gave it the principle of life and it came to life. I know nothing about Mary Shelley's faith or if she had one. But I do know uh, a knockoff Gucci when I see one. I know a knockoff Louis when I see one. That sounds a whole lot like the way we were dead in sins and trespasses. And God sent his son to redeem us. And God raised us from spiritual death to spiritual life. And then God did exactly what verse 18 says. He arranged each of us individually in the body just as he chose. I'm here to tell you, beloved, you didn't walk in here by accident. You're not a member of this church or whatever church you're a member of simply because you chose to be there. God was at work in your life in whatever circumstances, through whatever counsel. God was at work in your life, orchestrating your life, putting you first in the spiritual body of Christ and then putting you manifestly in the physical body of Christ just as he chose. So that your gifts would lead to the building of his body. That's why you're here, beloved, because God put you here. That's why I'm here is because God put me here. And this means, beloved, that none of us are a mistake. None of us are an accident. None of us are uh, 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 insignificant. All of us have a particular and precise arrangement that God himself has orchestrated for the blessing of his body. God is the great artist. He's a sculptor who molds the body of Christ with his own hands. God, God is the great painter with strokes and dots of various colors and hues composing the composition of the church. And this is why Ephesians 3.10 tells us that the whole universe stands in awe of the church. They see the church and they see revealed in the church, the Bible says, the manifold, the diverse, the varying kinds of wisdom of God. Who took a people who were no people, Jew and Gentile, and made them one body in his son. This is who we are. This is what we committed to. This is why covenant community makes sense, makes a difference. But now, one last thing to notice here about the church. When it comes to being a body, the whole and the parts matter. Notice again, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27. 
He just sums it up. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. If we could take time to go through the whole chapter here or this whole section, you'll see, as Christian read earlier, where Paul says, hey, look, because you're an eye, that doesn't mean you can do it all by yourself. Or because you're a nose or a hand or something and not the eye, that doesn't mean you're insignificant. That's been his whole argument here. And he sums it up in verse 27. You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. The you here is plural. It's referring to the whole church. The whole body is important. But so is each individual part. The Christian church is greater than the sum of its parts, and yet the church would be nothing if each part was not there and valued. Maybe an illustration helps. Think about your own body for a moment. Wiggle your fingers or your toes. Kind of feel your shoulders, chest. Flex your leg a little bit. Think about your whole body. Parts you can move, perhaps. Parts you can't move. Muscles. Think about the internal organs. Heart, lungs. Now, I want you to focus on just one part. Any part you choose, I want you to get your mind focused on that one part of your body. And I want you to imagine that that part is disconnected from your body and lying across the room. Now, let me ask you a question. Who is that a problem for? Your body or the part? It's both, ain't it? It's both. Both matter. Right? You you can't sort of look if I was imagining a heart. I can't say, okay, there's my heart across the room. I'm all good. I need my heart in my body. And and my heart over there across the room, it might beat for a little while. Maybe Dr. Luke can tell me how long. It it might beat for a little while, but it ain't going to beat long. Because this whole purpose is to supply blood and, and, and resources to what? A body. So the body is not the body without each individual part. And the part can't play its function, doesn't sort of live out its design, unless it's a part of the whole. To be healthy, we need the whole and the parts. To be a healthy congregation, we need to have a sense of the whole But we also have to have a sense of each individual part and its importance and its place. This perhaps is why this statement is included in the church covenant. I don't know who originally wrote the church covenant. I wish I could sit down with them and interview them. But since I can't, I'm going to make up why I think they put this here. Makes sense to me that this is included in the covenant for three, three reasons here. For the care of the individual member's soul, for the wholeness of our local church, and for the strength of their future church. And when we play this part of the covenant, we we are putting ourselves in position to be cared for by the body of Christ. When we play this part in a church covenant, we're putting ourselves in position to contribute to the whole body of the Lord. 
And then we play this part of the church covenant when we move to some other place and unite with another congregation that preaches the same gospel. We then go there and contribute to the strengthening of another church, the Lord's church. So every Christian ought to be a member of a local church. And if you're here this morning and you're a professing Christian and you're not yet a member of a local church, I want to encourage you to join one. Doesn't have to be this one. We love you here, but maybe there's another one that your heart is drawn to. The Lord seems to be placing you there. Go there, join, plug into that covenant community, contribute to its life and receive life from it. That's God's intent for you. He doesn't have another plan for how we are to live out the Christian life. Join a local church. That's the application. If you're already a member of a local church, Delight in your membership. Delight in the fact that God's fingerprints are on you. He arranged you just as he chose. Sit in wonder, in awe of the reality that an infinite God with all wisdom who rules the universe took a moment to place you, to guide you, to connect you to the body of his son that you might live the spiritual life of Christ as it flows through his body and you might contribute to the mission of Christ as his body lives in the world. That's that's amazing. You're looking for purpose in life? That's a great place to begin with the reality that God arranged you in the membership of the church where you are. At least that part is most definitely not an accident in your life. Embrace it and rejoice in it. That's point number one. Next point to quicker. Point number two, everyone will leave their local church. Everyone will leave their local church. Every Christian is joined to the body of Christ. They should reflect that in church membership. However, second point, every Christian will leave their local church. Every member of ARC, as important as you are to our local church family, you will at some point leave. This is a fact, and this happens in a variety of ways. You move to another city. You will choose a different church in this city. You will go to the mission field to plant churches uh, in another country among another people. Or you'll go out with a church plant from this church to Congress Heights Community Church or Mercy of Christ Church or whatever it is the next church, Ward 9 Church in PG County. Um, <laughs> you'll leave out of disappointment or hurt. That happens. Or maybe you didn't do any of those things. One day, you're going to submit that final resignation letter. We are all going to die and transfer our membership to that great final church in glory. Amen? So we all going to leave here now. And I'm stressing that because sometimes Christians begin to think that no one should ever leave. And if they do, then something is wrong. That, that's actually closer to cultic thinking than it is to biblical thinking. I understand the feeling. I understand the feeling. I mean, if you love someone, you hate to see them go. Right? So sometimes that, that sort of grabbing onto people is just the echo of love. 
right? It's just the way love has been clutching. And now someone's kind of out of your clutch. I understand the feeling, but leaving happens, right? Leaving happens. And we just set ourselves up for deeper heartache or a more sinful possessiveness if, if we don't sort of acknowledge that fact. Now, here's the thing. What matters is not if you leave, but how you leave. Leaving well is really important. Now, in the New Testament, I'll give you a couple of passages we're going to look at. Romans 16, 1 and 2, 2 Corinthians 8, 16 and 19. In the New Testament, most of the leaving of churches is one of two things. It's either uh, getting rid of false teachers and getting rid of people who are in unrepentant sin, or it's people sort of moving between churches in a missionary call. So again, you don't see a lot of um, teaching or illustration in the New Testament of folks just sort of saying, hey, you know what? I was at First Corinthians uh, Baptist Church. I think I'm going to go over to Second Corinthians Baptist Church just, you know, next door uh, and worship with them. There's not that kind of party spirit, right? In fact, in First Corinthians 1 and the whole of the letter, that's what Paul is pushing against. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. And like, no, 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 no. We don't click up like that, right? There's just team Jesus, right? But there is some moving around. I want, to, I want to sort of use these two illustrations to draw out a couple of principles for us for how to leave well. So look with me at Romans 16, verses 1 and 2. Paul writes there, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Syncria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. So Phoebe is a, a servant in the church, perhaps a deaconess uh, in the church. Um, she is now moving to the church in Rome. And he says to the church in Rome, welcome her in a manner worthy of, of the saints, right? So recognize that she too is a Christian, uh, just as you are, and receive her uh, as a brother or sister in the Lord. Um, and, and then he commends her further by talking about the ways in which she's been a patron. She has financially supported the local church where she was before, okay? So you see her moving, and you might think of this as a, a church transfer letter in part, right? See, a similar thing in 2 Corinthians 8. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 16 and 19. Paul writes there, but thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself being earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. So Paul is now sending Titus to serve in Corinth. But then in verse 18, he mentions someone else. He says, with him, we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. Now, can I just give you a little sigh? I love that phrase. The brother is famous, and Paul don't name him. I love that. I love that. Just, you know, keep it in mind. The Bible's always exhorting us to humility, isn't it? Right? So with him, we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been, notice, appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. There are a couple of things I want to just sort of note in summary, in principle, from what we see in these historical examples, things that I want to apply to the notion of leaving a church well. Here's the first thing. They left with the leadership knowing. They left with the leadership knowing, being involved in a decision 
and able to commend them to the next church. Here's the second thing. They left with the church's blessing. So not only did the leaders know, but the whole body knew and the whole body in some sense could commend them as servants to the other churches to which they were going. They left with the leaders knowing, they left with the body knowing, and they left, number three, with the spiritual goal of doing God's work. They left with the goal of doing God's work. How often do folks leave one church, go to another city or what have you, and and their purpose is something less than God's work? Might be a good purpose, like work took them someplace else, but the only thing they thought about is work. They haven't thought about, let me go to this city with a spiritual purpose to, to, as we'll see in a moment, be about the father's business, to do the Lord's work. So they left with the leadership knowing, they left with the church's blessing, they left with the spiritual goal of doing God's work among God's people in another city. In principle, I think that's how you leave well. But sometimes people leave poorly, leave in an unhealthy way. They just disappear. Beloved, can I encourage you, if you're a member of ARC keeping covenant with us, or if you're a member of another local church someplace that has these same principles in play, don't ghost the church. Don't ghost the church. You were there. People were loving you. You were loving others. Something happened. You start nursing hurt or disappointment or disinterest and spiritual coldness started growing in your life. And you just kind of decided at some point, I ain't going to call them no more. I'm not going to participate anymore. Don't ghost the church. Or a person may go on kind of a rampage as they leave. This is the opposite end of the spectrum. So the first is the cold shoulder. Now somebody's hot under the collar, right? You hear horror stories about people sending mass emails to current members, former members, dead members, sending emails to everybody about everything, spreading negative information and uh, talking about, you know, all the ways in which the church is wrong. If you're going to leave the church, let me exhort you, don't roast the church either. Don't roast the church. Don't don't dog the Lord's people. Instead, make a toast to the church. Y'all see what I did there? Ghost roast toast. Yeah, make a toast to the church. (laughs) We was on a retreat this week. I'm rested. I'm silly when I'm rested. Make a toast to the church. Leave the church in a way that blesses and honors it as best as you are able. Now, I... I'm using that phrase because I realize sometimes we leave a church and and we can't honor what's going on there. Not everything called a church is a church, right? So I'm I'm not overlooking that. I know that. I'm talking about sort of the normal circumstance, right? In a normal circumstance, as best as you can, honor the church that you're leaving. Keep in mind, that local church, with all of its faults, like the church in Corinth, is still God's workmanship. It's still Jesus's bride. It is still a people that Jesus died for on the cross. And it's still the people that Jesus is going to return and gather to himself. It may be that if we leave a church roasting that church instead of toasting that church, we might be proving that we are not a part of the church. Be careful with that. 
Look for grace and honor God's grace in the lives of his people, even if we know they're not a perfect church because they're not, right? So we ask that when you come into membership of ARC, we go through a little blog post that I wrote about 10 years ago at least um, called Five Things to Do Before Leaving Your Church. You still find it if you Google it if you want to. We take folks who are thinking about membership, and this is where we begin. We begin with how you should leave, because we recognize everybody's going to leave, right? And it's also a time to process folks uh, sort of leaving experiences with their previous church. And so we say five things in that blog post and share that with prospective members. And we would encourage you to do these things before you leave ARC. Number one, share your thinking or your reasons with the leaders. Here's what often happens we begin to sort of think that maybe this is not where we should be, which is a fine thought. But in the fear of man, we don't want to really share that thought with the leaders. And so what we tend to do is very quietly accumulate reasons for leaving. And sometimes we know that our reasons aren't all that strong. So then it's, 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 easy. it's interesting how that goes from sort of reasons for leaving that might not be that strong to now seeking grievances and complaints in order to feel more justified and magnifying those things, again, in order to feel more justified because down in here we know we're not talking to anybody, we're not seeking counsel, we're not seeking to resolve those things. And beloved, that's when we are most vulnerable to making bad spiritual decisions. So seek the shepherding of your pastors. Listen, I think I can speak on behalf of all the pastors. We are not going to twist your arm and stay at ARC. We would like for you to, if that's what God's will is. But we have been Christians long enough to see that God has purposes and plans that don't include ARC. He has purposes and plans in some of your lives that would not include ARC in a particular season. And while we might grieve that because we love you, what we really want for you is the best for you, God's best for you. And if that's to be somewhere else, we'd actually like to help you find that somewhere else, right? We would like for you to take advantage of what might be our wider, deeper knowledge of the church world and spiritual issues and practices. So that next move for you is a strong move, not, not merely a kind of private, personal move that doesn't take into consideration things that you might have considered if you had had counsel. So number one, talk with your pastors. Number two, resolve any outstanding conflicts. Resolve any outstanding conflicts. You remember when Jesus tells us in the Gospels that if we're at the altar worshiping and there we remember that our brother has something against us, leave our gift at the altar, go and be reconciled, and then come worship. Reconciliation comes before worship in the Bible. Reconciliation comes before worship in the Bible. That that if we come to God with sort of broken, discordant hearts, broken relationships, God's like, how are you going to be united to me? If what I've given you is a gospel of reconciliation, a ministry of reconciliation, if what I've done is abolish the middle wall of hostility and bring together ancient enemies, Jew and Gentile, how is it then that you're going to worship me nursing that kind of division? And sometimes people have these beefs with each other in the church, and, and instead of 
practicing, and it's hard work, practicing the work of reconciliation, they're like, I'm just going to go somewhere else. Beloved, I want to encourage you to think of that as a heart problem, not a membership decision. And I want to encourage you to know that if you develop that habit here, you'll carry it to the next church. And this is an interesting thing. Thin-skinned people get thinner skin as they go on in life if they don't learn the ministry of reconciliation. You don't want to be that person. You don't. On your best days, none of us want to be that person, easily offended, who takes our toys and go home. Right? So let's let's commit to doing what God has called us to do in covenant, and let's learn the ministry of reconciliation, and let's resolve any conflicts before we move on, so that when we move on, we move on with a clear conscience and a clear heart. And we're not running from something as much as we're going to something. Right? Here's the third thing. Express your appreciation for the church and its ministry. So let's say you've reached a point where you've decided to to move on. You've resolved your conflicts. You've shared it with the elders. You've gotten counsel. Now it's time to go to another church. Remember, don't ghost the church. Toast the church, right? So take that opportunity to write a letter, your resignation letter or some other letter to friends and leadership and to the church and just say, hey, I was here for X amount of time and this is how y'all bless me. This is how I see God at work in your life. This is what I'm thankful for. Now, I'm guessing none of us have ever been in a church where we can't find at least one thing to give God praise for, right? And here's what I know, that most of us swim through a sea of negativity and criticism all week long and are starved for encouragement. And we begin to be people who are sort of living life to avoid criticism. And that's what makes encouragement so powerful. That if you encourage the work and the grace of God, it's like a magnet for people who actually want to do the work of God. You sort of say, hey, you know, the way you guys greet and love newcomers and welcomed me um, was a balm to my soul in a time where I was starving. By that positive encouragement, you have just shaped the heart of the church to move in a positive direction. I mean, think about it. We would like to think that we are people who grow from criticism. And in some level, we do. But don't it take a little while? Somebody come to you with criticism and, 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 and critique. You first have to sift through whether it's true, don't you? And then you got to sift through whether or not it was in proportion to reality. And then you got to sift through, well, what do I do with it? But just a positive encouragement cuts out all of that. Like, oh, that's the model. That's what I should be doing. That's how God's grace is imparted into the life of another by doing this thing called welcoming and greeting and loving, right? For example, we teach more by our positive encouragement, way more than we do by our critical comment. And if we're leaving a church, that's a time to build an Ebenezer, to leave behind a monument to God's grace in the lives of that people that helps them to continue in grace, doing the things that God is at work in doing in their lives. You with me? Number four, 
This wasn't meant to be this long. Number four, say goodbye to family and friends, right? So before you, before you go, we're not ghosting the church. You've talked to your pastors and leaders. You have resolved any conflict. You've sort of gathered your thoughts about how the, the Lord has um, worked through his grace in your life in that church. You've expressed some of that. Listen, go talk to your friends and family and let them know what you're doing, right? When we left the Cayman Islands, and this is a little bit different, I realized, because I was the, the, the lead pastor there, but it, it's the same thing. When we left the Cayman Islands, we were committed not to do what some previous pastors had done, which was show up at a church on a Sunday morning with the U-Haul backed out back and say, this is my last Sunday. It is terrible. It is terrible. And I'll tell you, when we got there, that church felt and looked and acted like a spouse who had been abandoned. When you go to church, that's the kind of stuff that gets left behind, certainly if, if leaders do that, but also if members do that, right? And so rather than do that, what we did was I said to the, to the pastors when we had worked through a process, took about 10 to 12 months as pastors thinking about what we should do. At the end of that process, I asked the guys, you know, what, what they thought I should do. They said, hey, we see what the Lord is calling you to. We don't sense any sin in your motives. Um, we, we see the need and have come to love Anacostia ourselves. If, if you decide to go, you would have our support in going. And I said, okay, now give me about three months to meet with people individually before we make this announcement publicly. Because there are people there who were friends who we went to movies with and had dinner with. There are people there that we had um, been there when a parent died or a baby was born. There was a lot of sort of emotional connectedness that needed to be honored. Not by a public service announcement, but by sitting in the living room as he had done so many times before. That was hard, but it was good. I remember the first day that we went out, Chris and I went out, we set up some meetings to go visit. I thought, let's, let's meet as many people as we can because, you know, people talk. So I want to tell people as quickly as we can. So they still don't hear it secondhand. Right. And we met with like three couples or something in that first day. Man, I was wrecked emotionally. I was like, no, nah, we got to slow this down. <laughs> we got to slow this down, you know. But take that time, beloved. Before you leave, talk to your friends in the church. Talk to your family in the church. Let them know what you're doing. Invite them into it to pray for you and to pray for them so that we don't leave ghosts. Number, number five, finally. In this whole process, if you're going to leave well, in this whole process, be honest with yourself about your own efforts, motives, and failings. Be ruthlessly honest with yourself about what's really going on in your heart. I mean, we know if we are changing relationships because we're trying to make room for sin. We know that. And we know if we are sort of leaving relationships because we're being petty and don't want to forgive. We, we know that, don't we? And we know that if we are claiming that we're not growing in a particular church, that they ain't all on the preacher. Because we know we ain't read our Bibles in six months. We, there's small groups and other things, but we don't participate in that. Be ruthlessly honest with yourself. Right? Because again, when we're not, we're making, we're making decisions, life decisions on partial and corrupted information. And what do you think that's going to lead to? A partial and corrupted discipleship. Be ruthlessly honest. Because then we give ourselves the opportunity for repentance. We give ourselves the opportunity for growth. We give ourselves opportunity to be different kinds of disciples 
who make different kinds of contributions wherever the Lord places us. And, and, and might I just say this? If you and I won't be ruthlessly honest with ourselves, we have a God who loves us so much who will be ruthlessly honest to us. We, we won't be able to run around like that for long before he comes and gets us if we're his and confronts us. And if you go a long time without God's correction, the Bible says you're not legitimate children. It's the other reason to be ruthlessly honest with yourself because you might discover I've been playing church rather than being a Christian. And that's good news because then you can become a Christian. You can stop playing church and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You tracking with me? We're all going to leave the church. Leave well, beloved. Leave well. Number three, every Christian should then quickly join another church. Delay is the enemy of growth. That's why the covenant says as soon as possible. There may be some practical things that limit your ability, that stretch your timeline. But as soon as is possible, join another church. See, the longer we delay, the longer we put off our own spiritual growth and stability and health. The longer we delay, the longer we are orphaning ourselves from the family of God. You maybe heard me use this illustration before, this pastor, someplace like Scotland. It's always some kind of romantic other place. It's never like, you know, Congress Heights. But this pastor, someplace like Scotland, is preaching on church membership. And a couple of older ladies came up to him and said, hey, pastor, you know, we've been concerned about Brother Jim. He was many years in our Sunday school class, and we haven't seen him lately. And the pastor says, okay, I'll, I'll go visit Brother Jim. I've been thinking about him, too. Goes by Brother Jim's house in one of those Scotland winters. and. Brother Jim welcomes him very graciously, invites him in, and they get two lounge chairs by the fire, and they're sitting and talking. And the pastor, as pastors do, turn the conversation to Brother Jim's spiritual life. We haven't seen you in church in a while. Brother says, yeah, yeah, I know, pastor, but I'm, I'm doing well spiritually. I'm, I'm doing fine. And the pastor says, oh, really? He says, oh, yes, yes, yes. He says, I, I read my Bible. And sure enough, next to his chair, he had his Bible open. So I, I read my Bible every day and, and I pray and, and I worship God right here by this fire. The pastor didn't say anything for a long while. After a few minutes, he got up and he took the tong next to the fireplace and he got a log off the fire, put it on the stone little slab right there in front of the fireplace. And he put the tong back and went and took his seat. And sat there for a long time. And he finally looked at Brother Jim. He said, Brother Jim, do you get the point? Brother Jim said, oh, yeah. He said, when you take an individual log off the fire and put it to some place by itself, what happens to it? Burns out, doesn't it? The fire grows dimmer and dimmer. And sometimes we don't notice it because it's still a fire. But eventually it begins to smolder and the wood might glow orange for a little while, but pretty soon it's white and ashen. It's empty of fire. And it was all almost imperceptible, unnoticeable while it was happening. But fire is found in the fireplace with the rest of the logs. We burn brightest when we burn together. Right. 
And I just want to encourage you to know that if you isolate yourself for any length of time, you will inevitably begin to grow colder. The fire will grow faint. And without noticing it, you can look up one day and feel yourself cold toward the Lord. So join another church, another Christian community quickly. How do you join more quickly? I want to give you two things to do before you go and two things to do when you go. Number one, choose a church before you move. Choose a church before you move. In fact, plan your life's moves around your knowledge of whether or not there's a a healthy local church in the place where you're going. Right? So I'm doing it another way. That's kind of convoluted. If you don't know of a good church somewhere, don't accept the transfer. Don't move there. Don't take the job. Do the homework first on the church. Find yourself a good church. Then include that place, that transfer, that whatever, that college. Then include that on your list of possible places to go. If you find a church before you move, you'll be able to join a church much more quickly. Number two, make sure the church that you find is committed to the gospel. We saw a couple of weeks ago, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 3, that this is the a first importance, a gospel preaching church, the gospel you hear here, that good news that Jesus Christ is the son of God who died for the sins of the world, your sins and my sins on the cross where God punished him in our place. He died, was buried three days, and raised from the grave for our righteousness and our eternal life with God. And he is coming again to gather his church. You want to find a church that preaches that message because that is the message that has given you eternal life. Any other message, the Bible says, is accursed. So find a church before you move and find a church committed to the same gospel And most of that you can do online or by talking with your pastors and others who might know that city. Yeah, you can listen to sermons before you get there. Does this guy preach the text? Does this guy preach the gospel? Or am I hearing something else, right? Do that work even before you leave. Number three, make sure the church is committed now to a culture of discipleship and make sure the church is devoted to love. So when you get there and you begin to sort of visit and things of that sort, are people discipling each other? Are they meeting up one-on-one to pray together, to study the scripture together, or maybe read a Christian book together? Are they participating in small groups? Do they take an active interest in one another's following of Jesus? If they do, great. If they don't, ah! And is the church marked by love? John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus says that this is how the world will know that you're my disciples, by your love for one another. Is that evident in how they treat each other? Is it evident in the way they struggle to care for each other. Again, we're not looking for perfect churches. There are not. We're looking for good enough churches. You find a good enough church, join. Don't wait for a perfect church. You'll be waiting forever. Think of it like marriage. That's what you call comedic timing. If you wait to find the perfect potential spouse, you will never marry. You will never marry. That's, this is Maybe that point is particularly addressed to men. You know, brothers who are like a three waiting on a 10. 
All these, all these dope eight and nines walking around. You talking about a ten? Like a three. Now y'all listening. See, but marriage <laughs> is about building a life together. It's not, let me get my life perfect, add spouse and water and stir. It's not how that works. It's not how that works. Marriage is two people committing to each other before God to build a life together and to live together through the various seasons of life until Jesus comes. I want to encourage you to think of your church membership like that. Two good enough bodies, the body of Christ and your body, right? Joining together, committing to love together through the seasons of life until Jesus calls us home or Jesus comes for us. It's a member and a body growing together. Join one quickly and you will experience the grace of God more quickly. Finally, a point that just needs to be stated. Every Christian should be about the Father's business. This is what this is about. It says, when we, it says we'll find a church where we can unite quickly, where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. When we see the Lord Jesus in the Gospels, I was going to say at his best, but every time we see him in the Gospels, he's about his Father's business, isn't he? When his family takes him as a child to the temple and then leave Jerusalem after the worship is over and look up some miles away and they're like, where's Jesus at? Where was Jesus? In the temple teaching. And when they came and asked for explanation, what did he say? It's about my father's business. The Lord's always about his father's business. And so are his people. So we'll go find a new church or plug into this church and let's be together about the Father's business. One of the questions we ask at baptism is, do you promise, depending on God's grace, to follow him in the fellowship of his church until he comes? That's our way of asking if the person is committing to living out the Father's business in the church by God's grace. And this part of the covenant is getting at the same thing. There is a specific way taught in the Bible, that Christians are meant to live. The covenant is a summary of that specific teaching. We are meant to live out the faith in covenant community with these kinds of promises. And when we sign on to this covenant and this statement, we are saying we are committed to living this way with other Christians from season to season, no matter what until the Lord may send us to our next stopping place. It's a good promise to make. It's for our blessing individually. It's for the strength of our church locally. And it will be for the strength of the church globally, as the Lord sometimes plucks a flower from one garden and plants it in another. May he give us grace to keep this covenant. And may he give us grace to believe in Jesus if we haven't already. So you're here this morning and everything we're talking about is built on the work that Jesus has done for us, right? So this church, this covenant community is not a collection of people who by our own strength are trying to be perfect. No, it's a collection of people who have admitted, have surrendered before God and said, you know what, I have no strength. I, I don't do things right. I sin. I go my own way, even when I know it's wrong. 
man, sometimes I sin and I didn't even know it was sin. These are, this is a group of people who say to God, I'm guilty. I'm guilty and, and I deserve your judgment. I mean, if you're just looking at the facts, keeping it a buck, I'm wrong. And, and, and I ought to be struck down. I ought to be, I ought to be judged. And these same people, this covenant community, are people who say, okay, but you know what, God? I'm taking you at your word. You said, and you never lie, that if I would confess my sin and repent, that is turn away from it and put my faith in Jesus, your son, who died for me to pay the penalty for my sins and was raised from the grave, so that I could have eternal life. You said, if I would believe in him and follow him in that belief, in that faith, if I would follow him, then there were certain things you would do, beginning with forgiving me all of my sins, past, present, and future. And then, and then saying of me, because of Jesus, that I am righteous in your sight. And not only that, you said, God, that you would take me into your family. And you said, God, that I would live forever in your kingdom, free from sin and full of your love and your joy. You said that, God, I'm taking you at your word. I'm trusting that Jesus is who he said he is, that he did what he said he was going to do when he died for my sins on the cross and rose from the grave. And that all of your promises are yes and amen in him. If you've never done that, you should do that today. You should do that today because the alternative is too terrible to think about. To die as a cut off part away from Christ and suffer the judgment yourself instead of having Jesus suffer the judgment for you is almost too terrible to describe. You don't want that. Trust in Jesus. Follow him. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved right now. If you do that, do not delay. And then come into the fellowship of God's people in his church, into this covenant community. And let's all of us struggling, repentant sinners continue to make our way to glory. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, indeed, we thank you for the local church. We marvel at it. This is your creation, your artistry, your great work. What an amazing thing that before the world began, you decided that you would love us and save us and keep us for yourself for all of eternity. And that you would accomplish that not by calling us to do a hundred things in our own strength, but you would accomplish that through your son who would do everything for us in our place, who would obey you perfectly when we had not, and who would die to suffer for sins he had, con had not committed, but that we did. And that you would raise him from the grave in glory and power and might, which he would then share with all of us who trusted him in his kingdom. What an amazing thing that you have 
designed the church this way. And we pray, bring more people into it. Bring more people into it. Even right now, bring people into your church, O Lord, through faith in Jesus. And we pray, strengthen our faith until you come. And if we should move from this place to some other place, give us grace to, as soon as possible, unite with some other gospel-preaching church where we can live out, Lord, the principles of this covenant and the teaching of your word. Do this, we pray, for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen.